our passage is Luke chapter 8, verses 1 to 21. We'll see how Jesus defines who's in her family. This is especially important for all of us because it's possible for us to think that we're in God's family when we're really not. We want to make sure, we want to know who are those who are in God's family. So let's read our passage for today. You can follow along as I read Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 1. Soon afterward, he went through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. And a great crowd was gathering, and people from town after town came to him. He said in a parable, A sower went out to sow seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and birds of the air devoured it, and some fell on the rock. And as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture, and some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil, and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God, the ones along the path are those who have heard the devil, then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but these have no root, they believe for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that of the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but holds it on a stand, so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be made known and come to light. Take care, then, how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has, will be taken away. Then his mother and brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. The main message or the big idea of this passage this morning is this. God's family are those who truly hear and faithfully do the word of God. God's family are those who truly hear and faithfully do the 
word of God. God's family are those who truly hear and faithfully do the word of God. We're going to start by exploring the, the scene or the context of this message, and then we'll look at the parable that Jesus tells and then his explanation of that parable. At the end, we're going to look at three ways to apply the meaning of this passage to our lives today. So first, let's look at the scene. What is going on? What's the picture of this passage? Looking at verse 1, it says, Soon after he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. So Jesus is on his ministry that he started back in chapter 4 of Luke. He says in 4.43, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. Jesus is fulfilling his purpose to bring the good news that God's kingdom has come. And he is the one who's bringing the news and he's bringing God's kingdom. Verses 1 and 2, we see that who's with him? The twelve were with him, and also some, of, some women who had been healed. They've been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. And then three women are listed, Mary, Magdalene, Joanna, and Suzanne. These women represent women who may have been marginalized in this society. Mary, who had been demon-possessed, probably found it difficult to be reassimilated back into normal life. She would have had a stigma attached to her because she at one time had been demon-possessed. Also, Joanna, being part of the management of Herod's household, she would have had riches, she would have had affluence, some access to resources, to money. But this came from Rome. So to the Jews, this was similar to tax collectors. This could have been where they, they did not like the fact that she was part of the ruling authority over them. They wanted Rome overthrown and kicked out. It says that these women supported the ministry that Jesus was a part of. It says they provided out of their own means. And this is a picture of God's grace. God, Jesus, had shown grace to these women by casting out the demons, by not marginalizing them, but bringing them in to his family. And here they are picturing God's grace by serving and by giving. It makes me wonder that it's possible these women actually understood and got the picture of Jesus' message before so many others. Even the disciples we see, as Jesus is going toward Jerusalem to be crucified, they're arguing about who's going to be the best, who's the greatest. They had difficulty getting what Jesus was talking about. But it seems that the service of these women, by being with Jesus and also providing out of their own means, they're living out Jesus' message even before the disciples started to do it. Now in verse 4, we see there's also a great crowd, people from town after town, who have come to hear what Jesus is saying. And then if we skip down, just briefly to look at 19 and 20, it says, Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he, he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. So the picture here is Jesus traveling around, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. 
And with them are the twelve apostles. And there's a group of disciples that includes these women. And then there's also large crowds, people who want to see what's going on. And then here his family is also involved in this. It seems that they are they're on the they're not among the group of disciples necessarily. But they're also not away, super far away. So they're part of that crowd. They're, they're around. And we know from looking at the beginning and the end of this section that this large crowd is here the whole time. So as Jesus teaches, he addresses at one point his disciples. But he's doing this in context of others hearing him as well. So when he explains the parable, it doesn't say that he's off to the side with the twelve. It says he's explaining to his disciples. And it seems to be that he's doing this with all the crowd around him as well. We want to keep that in mind as we go through the passage. Now let's look at what Jesus teaches in this parable. Let's look at verse 5 and following. A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it, and some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away, because it had no moisture, and some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it, and some fell into good soil, and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So here's the parable about farming. A parable is a short story that illustrates a moral or a spiritual lesson. Jesus uses parables often to explain a lesson or an idea. And it's likely here that Jesus' audience, the great crowd that was around, many of them were probably farmers. So they could relate well to this story. They would know the process of sowing or planting. Someone who is sowing, a sower, went out to sow. This means someone who's scattering seed in a field. It's similar to planting, but planting gives the idea of digging a hole and putting a seed in the hole and burying it, or putting a plant in the hole and covering it again with dirt. But sowing is a, a scattering. It's using the hand, a bag of seed, and throwing it. The idea is to get a general covering of seed in the whole field. This increases the chance of an abundant yield. A good crop if the field is covered with seed. There's not a lot of care taken to make sure that each seed is placed directly into, into the ground. And as the sower is sowing, he wants to make sure that he covers the whole field with seed. So if there's some overflow, that's better than having some of the field without seed. So there needs to be some overspray if you've ever seen someone painting with a spray gun or an air brush, they'll usually tape part of the wall or part of the picture, whatever they don't want covered with paint, so that they can paint with the airbrush all the way to the edge. And it covers that tape or it covers the plastic that's around. That's overspray. And that's intentional so that the part that needs to be painted can be completely covered. That's similar to what the sower is doing with the seed. This is why there ends up being some seed on the path and in with the thorns and in the rocky soil that doesn't typically grow good crops. It's this overabundance, the spread. 
Because the idea is this, this seed is good seed. If it's planted in good dirt, it can yield a hundred times, a hundredfold. That's excellent. So in this parable, we have four types of soil. The first one is the path. Now the, the path probably happened because people needed to walk through the field. The closest distance between here and the place I'm trying to go is across the field. So the people would walk across, and then they would come back and walk across the same path. And then day after day, week after week, year after year, people would use the same direct line to cross the field. And what happens? It gets packed down. The ground becomes hard like rock. There's no grass or anything that grows in the middle because it's being trampled. It's being packed down. There's no opportunity for a plant to grow. Even water, when water hits a path like this, Sometimes it even rolls off to the side. It doesn't soak in because the ground is packed so hard. That's the first type of soil, is the path. The second one is the rocky soil. And this seems to be soil with rock underneath it, or a place in the rocks where dirt has, has drifted. And so now there's some dirt, and a plant can start to grow, but there's no depth. There's no room for the roots to go down and actually get nutrients and moisture that's needed for a plant to grow. The third soil is that with thorns. The thorns come up and choke out the other plants. They have big leaves that shield the smaller plants from getting sunlight. They take up all the nutrients from the ground. They don't allow other plants to grow. And so these plants, the seeds, cannot last. Notice the rocky soil and the thorny soil, they both have plants. So there's a little bit of a plant that comes up, but it can't last. The one that lasts, the plant that endures, is the plant that's planted, the seed that's sown in the good soil. It can support a plant from start to finish. And those plants persevere to the end and produce an abundant crop. Now Jesus ends this parable. He says, who, he who has ears, let him hear. He's essentially saying, listen carefully. Listen up. Pay attention to what I'm saying. It's possible, but unlikely, that this is actually a farming joke if he was talking about corn. Because corn grows on ears. So he's maybe saying, he who has ears, let him hear. But I don't think that's the interpretation that we should make with us. <laughs> All right, so how does Jesus explain this parable? Because maybe we're wondering, what does this mean? His disciples were obviously wondering what this meant, because it says in verse 9, and when his disciples asked him what the parable meant, he said, so he gives this explanation. Verse 10, he says, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing, they may not understand. So here Jesus is saying the purpose of a parable is that some people will not truly understand the message that Jesus is bringing about God's kingdom. So when some hear the parable, they will hear a story. Some will hear the deeper meaning of the truth that Jesus is bringing, the truth of his message. He says his disciples which would include those who are truly following him, not just the 12 apostles. But they are the ones 
who can see. Their eyes, the eyes of their hearts have been opened to the truth of Jesus' word, that he is the Messiah, that he's the Savior that God promised to send. But to many who are listening, this mystery, this reality of Jesus' Christness, that he is Christ, has been hidden from them. He may have used this parable with farmers because later the farmer will be out in his field sowing seed and then the lights may come on. Oh, that's what he meant. That was the truth. The truth was hidden from many people for a time. While Jesus was teaching and preaching, the truth was hidden. Even his own disciples did not make all the connections that Jesus had told them. Jesus tells them specifically he's going to die on a cross, and they don't get it. They're still arguing about who's going to be the best in his kingdom. So for many people, their eyes are shaded. That's what Jesus is saying here. They will not understand at this point. He goes on in verse 11 to then explain what the parable means. He says, the seed is the word of God. The word of God spread generously by God's messengers. It started with the prophets in the Old Testament, proclaiming the, the word of God to God's people. God speaking through the prophets. And here, God himself, through Jesus, is sharing his message with his people. We have God's word in the form of the Bible. That is God's word. That is the seed that is being spread. And it's spread on four different types of soil. The first one is the path. Verse 12. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. These are people who hear, but their hearts are too hard to hear, to truly hear, and to truly understand the message, the seed cannot enter the soil. It's too dry. It's like rock. The response of people who are like the path is a response of rejecting the gospel. It says the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts. They do not believe. There is no plant in this type of soil. It's as if the seed never even reached that soil. It looks as if there was no, never any seed because the bird took it away. In a similar way, people who are hard in this way, it looks as if the gospel has never even reached them. They look no different than before. Colossians 1.18 says, The word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. It means the message of God, the word of God, Jesus' message of salvation sounds like foolishness. It sounds stupid to those who are spiritually dying. To those who have a heart it's like the path that's rock hard. The second soil you see in verse 13. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they heard the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while and in time of testing fall away. So here there's an evidence of the beginning of faith. There's a plant that springs up. It says they receive it with joy. They're excited to be a Christian. But then a trial comes, a difficulty comes, and they give up. They call it quits. They say, no, I can't do it. The plant dies and dries up 
Like in verse 6, it says, because there's no moisture. I have a friend from university here in town that became a Christian. He came to church, became a Christian, started studying the basics of Christianity. He was reading his Bible, he was praying. And then he went home for holiday. And his father, especially, did not support his decision to become a Christian. By the time his friend returned from the holiday, he had rejected his faith in Jesus. He listened to the voice of his father, and he renounced his faith. He changed his mind, left Christianity behind, and has not returned. He's the type of person that is this type of soil. He was excited. He received the good news of Jesus with joy. He entered a time of difficulty, of trouble, adversity from his father. And so he turned away from the Lord. He received the word with joy, but in this time of testing, he had no root, so his faith withered and died, and he fell away. Now the third soil is the thorny soil. Verse 14. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. So again, like the rocky soil, there's uh, a little bit of faith here. There's uh, a proclamation or an acceptance of Christianity, of Jesus. There's a, a faith claim, but it's the beginning of faith that's choked out by the cares of the world. Someone with, in the thorny soil would say they're a Christian, but they're distracted. And we see the things that are choking them out. They're distracting them from their faith, cares, riches, pleasures of life. Someone like this is concerned not with spiritual things, but with worldly things, with things of this life. And finally, the good soil. Verse 15, as for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. The farmers listening to this would have known that this was definitely the desired soil. Jesus' parable highlights that the good soil is good because it's able to grow crops and yield in abundance. Remember the big idea of this passage. God's family are those who truly hear and faithfully do the word of God. God's family are those who are this good soil. They hear the word, just like the other three soils heard the word. But here the good soil is good because they truly hear. They have an honest and good heart. And they respond in faith that holds fast, that perseveres until the end. We see in verse 8 that the good soil endured to the end and yielded a hundredfold. And then in verse 15, it calls this bearing fruit with patience. The people with hearts like good soil are those who have faith and they endure faithfully until the end. They continue. Now, the good soil faced the same problems as the other soils. There were birds that would have come. At times, there was maybe a lack of moisture. There was thorns that would grow up. 
and yet the seed produced a bountiful harvest. And in the same way, people with good soil also face difficulty. It doesn't mean that the good soil doesn't face the birds. It doesn't mean that people of good soil don't face distractions like weeds. No, but in those times of testing, like the rocky soil, and with those thorns that grow up, the good soil perseveres. The plants are able, the crops are able to continue to grow. And notice, too, the timing of this parable. It's one season. This is not a conversation about how the soil was good for many seasons or yielding crops for years and years. When we look at parables, we must look at what's there and not make it true in all cases everywhere. So we need to look at it in this way, that the season is meant to be a lifetime. So one season is is one lifetime. Meaning that the Christian is to remain faithful until the end. And we can think about our lifetime as this season. Now Jesus concludes this part with a warning and then a redefinition of God's family. Let's look at those, and then we will move into application. Verse 16 to 18, Jesus gives a warning. He says, No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar, or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand, so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest nor is anything secret that will not be, not be known and come to life. Take care then how you hear, for to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. So here Jesus changes from farming to lighting a lamp. And the, the lamp is supposed to be put out so that it can give light to the house. He's being a little bit absurd here by saying, does anybody light a lamp and put it under a jar or put it under a bed? No, of course. Lamps are lit so so that we can see. We could say something similar. If, If you leave for work in the morning and you turn all the lights on in your house as you leave, and you come home at night and turn all the lights off, that's kind of absurd. That's not the use of the light that you have in your house. We have light so that it gives us light, so that we can see. Verse 17 tells us the purpose of this illustration. It says that nothing hidden will remain hidden. Everything will come to light eventually. Because this ties to the parable above, Jesus here is talking about our faith, or the condition of our heart. So this warning is that the condition, or the quality of, of our hearts and of our faith will be made known. We can't fake it for very long. You can come to church and fake things. You can pretend like everything is fine. It's possible to pretend like you're a follower of Jesus, but it cannot last forever. Even the passage I read in the introduction about some people at the judgment, at the end of time, will tell Jesus, I did all these things in your name. And yet Jesus will say, I never knew you. So it will come to light, the condition of our hearts. Our faith will be exposed. 
So in verse 18, Jesus says, Luke there, in verse 18, Take care then how you hear. Take care then how you hear. This is the second time that he warned people to be careful, to listen up. Verse 8, he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. This seems to indicate that we have some responsibility to pay attention to the condition of the soil of our heart. Jesus is telling his listeners to be aware and to consider their faith. And then the last part of 18, where he says, to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. Think about the plants that are growing. The ones in the good soil, their seed, and they will have even more. There will be an abundance of crops that comes from that soil. But the other soils, especially the rocky soil and the thorny soil, there will be a little bit of a plant, but even that will die without any yield, without any produce. So that's what he's saying. That thinking you have faith, a lack of faith or a neglected faith will end in no faith at all. It will not produce the yield that we want. So this means that real, true faith will grow over time into faithfulness. But the lack of faith or a neglected faith will end in no faith at all. Now, lastly, Jesus then concludes this part with redefining what it means to be a part of the family of God. Let's look at verse 19. Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside, desiring to see you. But he answered them, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. So Jesus' family arrives. Now notice here, he does not reject them. But he does not immediately move toward them, as people may have expected. Instead, he uses their request to see him as an opportunity to show what it means to be in God's family. His point is that being included in God's family is not based on physical or biological descent. It's not earthly kinship that makes someone into God's family. In the Old Testament, God's family referred to the people of Israel, a, a nation, a certain race. But here Jesus is changing that. He's redefining that. He's saying that his true family is made up of those who hear and do the word of God. It goes back to the big idea again of this passage. God's family are those who truly hear and faithfully do the word of God. So what do we do with this parable and Jesus' explanation? How can we apply this to our lives? There's three ways, three applications for us today. The first one is to truly hear the Word of God. Number one, truly hear the Word of God. Verse 18 says, take care then how you hear. Like I mentioned, this verse shows that we are responsible 
for assessing the condition of our heart. We need to look, am I hard-hearted in my life the path? Am I distracted by the things of the world and not concerned about my faith? Or am I like the good soil? Do I have an honest and good heart? Am I moving toward bearing fruit with patience? Maybe you feel like your heart is like the path. Do you feel literally trampled on by people? Are you bitter, cold, cynical toward others because it's too painful to be open and to be honest? Have you been hurt too much? Maybe even people who call themselves Christians have hurt you to the point that it's just too painful to open up. It's too painful to be known, to be vulnerable. That's a heart that is hard like a path. God's word cannot even enter that type of soil. If this is you, ask God to soften your heart. He's faithful to work the soil of our heart and to change us to be good soil. Challenge you to take the scary steps of opening up. Allow God's people to minister to you and to love you. Be in God's Word. Expose yourself to God's Word. And have the courage to submit to His work on the soil of your heart. It's not easy, but it's incredibly important. God can use His tools to turn over the soil of our hearts and to make them good and pure again. We must submit to His work. It's also helpful for us to consider this point, to truly hear the Word of God as we think about evangelism and disciple-making. As we talk to people, it's helpful to keep in mind these soils. Are we talking to a person who is like the path, very hard-hearted? And like Jesus, we should sow seed generously. We want to sow seed, the seeds of the Word of God. Not be afraid of the seed landing on the rocky soil or in the thorns. We should sow seed like Jesus generously. The second point is to respond in faith. So first, truly hear the Word of God. Number two, respond in faith. Believe the Word that you hear. In verse 1, we see that Jesus is proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. This good news is that Jesus is the Savior King that God had promised long ago to send to rescue his people. And not just the people of Israel, but people from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation who repent of their sin and believe in Jesus as their Savior. So respond in faith. That looks like first admitting that you're a sinner. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Because of our sin, we are separated from God. He is perfect, and we are not. In our sin, we are opposed to Him. We are against Him. But Jesus came to be a mediator, the one to fill the gap 
He lived a perfect life and died on the cross. And the blood that he spilled is a sacrifice, is the payment for the debt of sin that we owed and could not pay. So the innocent Jesus died so that we, the guilty sinners, might live when we put our faith in him. So this is the good news. That God has made a way for us to be forgiven of our offense toward him through Jesus. So every person must respond to the message with acceptance or rejection. So friends, respond in faith. Hear the good news of Jesus and respond in faith. And finally, number three, remain faithful. Truly hear the word of God, respond in faith, and then finally and continually remain faithful. Verse 15, we see the interpretation, the explanation of the good soil. They are those who hear the word, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. Remember the rocky and thorny soils. They, there was a plant as well, but no harvest. They had what looked like the beginning of faith, but there was not perseverance. Brothers and sisters, we should persevere. We must remain faithful. We need to think about, though, what comes between us and faithfulness. Like the thorny soil, there's distractions of life. Thorns that choke out our faith, that want to distract us from the things of the Lord. The passage mentions cares, riches, and pleasures. The cares would be responsibilities. These are good things that we're called to take care of and to think about. We need to work so that we can make money, so we can provide for our family and have a place to live. We need to feed and clothe our family. We save for the future. We exercise so we can have healthy bodies. We need to pay the bills. We take showers, we wash our clothes, and on and on and on. We have so many cares, so many things so many responsibilities to think about. But do these cares squeeze on your time with the Lord? Do you do these things instead of spending time with God? If you have time to go to the gym or to read your Bible, which one will you do? Are you regular at reading your Bible and praying? Are you a member of a local church? Or just really too busy and can't commit. But what about riches? We're also tempted by riches. This is a very affluent city. And even if you don't feel affluent, it still takes a lot of work here to live. And there's also temptation to want to continue to increase. There's lots of nice cars on the road. There's lots of nice houses. And it would be nice to be in those places. Some of us work really hard so that we can buy a house or a car or send our kids to those special classes that they really need to be good adults. We spend time with work trips and extra hours and additional degrees. But are those distracting us from our faith? 
it's possible that some of those things are weeds that are choking out our faith. If they become more important than our faith in the Lord, then it's weeds, it's thorns. Lastly, it's pleasures. Many people want to enjoy life rather than following Jesus. Being a Christian is not convenient. And it's not comfortable. There are more comfortable things, there are more pleasurable things than being a Christian. It's inconvenient to come to church at times. It's inconvenient to read my Bible. I would rather work out than read my Bible most of the time, many times. But we must consider the pleasures that we seek after. Even as you leave this place, so the city is so transient. Many people are here and they leave. What are the priorities for your next location? Is it so that you can be comfortable? Is it so that your career can advance and you can have more riches? I would challenge you to consider spiritual things. Consider your faith with your next move, not your career as much, not your comfort as much. Where would God have you to go? And where can your faith thrive in the Lord? So consider your motivation, even as you think down the road of not being in Shanghai any longer. Most of us will probably not be here forever for the rest of our lives. We'll move to another place. Consider your faith in that decision. Don't make that decision just based on career and hope you can find a church. Later in Luke, Jesus says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? It's not worth gaining the whole world to be choked, to have our faith choked by thorns. I remember in this parable, it puts the life of a person into one growing season. So as we apply this to our lives, we must see that our life is, is like one growing season. We're called to be faithful in our relationship with God over the long term. This one season that we all get. Now, are we going to have gaps in our faithfulness over time? We're supposed to remain faithful, but what happens when we sin? We're absolutely going to fail at this. By God's grace, He knows we're going to fail, and it's His grace that can sustain us. We can continue because of His grace. We are saved by His grace, and we remain faithful by His grace. What we must do when we face sin is repent of that sin. We will fail. We will stumble, but we repent of that. That's the mark of remaining faithful. It's not being perfect, but we're faithful to repent when we see sin in our lives. Repenting is admitting, is confessing that what we have done is evil in the sight of God, that it is sin. And then we turn from that sin to God. We ask Him to help us to live rightly, to not live in that sin anymore. In Luke 3, John the Baptist, when he was baptizing people, he told them, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. This idea of repentance is consistent with the message of Luke. So we should plan to be faithful, just as the good soil also faced birds and dryness and thorns. At times we're going to feel trampled on by others. We're going to be distracted by pleasures, 
or pressures of the world. We're going to be tempted and tested as we struggle through life's disappointments. But brothers and sisters, we must remain faithful. By God's grace, we can. So how do we remain faithful? How can, how can we do that? Let's look back at verse 21, the very end. But he answered them, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. There's the answer from Jesus. How do we remain faithful? We hear the word of God and we do it. We hear the word of God by reading our Bibles. It's helpful to read good books. We have lots of good books on the book table. And Jonathan mentioned earlier, coming up this summer, we're going to have a book club on the book Discipling. We've talked to somebody at the book table. I think there are even free books available if you participate. That's a good way to be hearing the Word of God and be studying with other believers. We hear the Word of God by coming to church and listening to the sermon. Listen and take notes. Discuss with other people afterwards. That helps the seed to sink down deep into the soil of your heart. To think about it. Not to hear and to walk away, but to think about it. And then we do. So we hear the word of God, and then we obey it. James 1 speaks directly to this. James says, Be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. We understand the book of James to be written by Jesus' brother, James, who would have been there in this last part of this passage, where he says, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. And I think it's amazing that he then says, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Praise God, if he didn't get it here, he at least got it at some point. He understood what Jesus was saying. If we jump ahead and look to chapter 9, Jesus says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. We hear and we do the word of God by daily submitting ourselves to God's authority and his will for our lives. We love him more and more each day, and we love him more than anything or anyone else. That's what it looks like to do his word. So I want to conclude with why. Why should we hear God's word? Why should we care to hear it and to do it? Well, it's because God has the words of life. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the word of God, and he, his words bring salvation. He is the salvation for us. And also, we should pay attention to this, because we are under attack. In this parable, Jesus says Satan is the one, like the birds, coming to snatch God's word away, so they cannot sink into the soil of our hearts. Satan and all his forces are working day and night, desperately trying to snatch and to choke and destroy any bit of faith that any person has. The whole human race 
who are made in God's image, we have a real and present enemy who wants our faith dead. We should take this fight seriously. We should hear and do the word of God. Because if we don't, there is someone who wants to choke and to destroy our faith. Our drive to hear and do the words of God should be evident in light of this battle over our faith. I hope and I pray that everyone here is in God's family and will be found faithful at the end for the harvest that is a hundredfold. Friends, please, please hear the word of God and do it.